You're listening to Post Dramatic Stress, hosted by Charlotte D. A weekly podcast to connect creatives and communicate about the highs, lows, and laughs of being in a creative industry. Hello and welcome to episode nine of Post Dramatic Stress. Um, thank you for joining us. I am joined again by, um, oh my gosh, I can't speak, sorry. I am joined by Isabella Jacqueline. Um, she is co-hosting again with me today. Lucky me. Hi, Bella. Hello, everybody. And Charlotte, you obviously as well. Oh yeah, I should introduce myself. Hello, I am Charlotte. Um, <laughs> and even more excitingly so, we have another human guest today. His name is Ross Metcalf, and he is a director of photography. Hello, Ross. Hello, you and you and everyone out there as well. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. We are planning to talk about the creative art of telling story and emotion. Um, and Ross is going to bring his own experiences to that. And hopefully we'll bring some of our experiences to that um, topic as well. But before we start, we'd love to get to know a little bit more about you, Ross. So please um, tell us about yourself. Who are you and how did you get to this point in your creative life? Well, uh, hello everyone. This is that's a, quite a loaded question, actually. Um, um, I would probably start off by saying that this is my third career, and um, you know, I kind of found myself at this point of doing something else that I thought I should do, and then just realizing, you know, on sort of one moment that I can't imagine myself doing this for another twenty, thirty years, and just kind of instantly there, somehow I, f I found the film work through just filming some stuff with some friends and travel videos and editing things together. And, um, yeah, I kind of just did that on the side of the other full-time job. And it would just took quite a while, but there was a point where I realised, well, maybe this could be a career. You know, I'm interested in it. I'm having fun doing it. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine myself doing the other thing for too long. So it's not like I sat down and said, hey, I'll, or even at school or studied and said, do I want to be you know, in film and TV or camera person or anything like that. It just kind of found me, really. Um, mm. It's one of those things, just born from a desire to not do something else. And rather than sit down with a pen and paper and try and figure out what am I supposed to do with my life, it kind of just naturally rolled that way. That's amazing. It's I've, We've actually just had someone else on the interview. <laughs> yeah. And it was a very similar experience, how you can find that creativity born through a desire for not doing something else and how eventually you can really find what you're meant to do. Mm, yeah. Very cool. There you go. Well, I might start us off on our first topic. Let's just jump straight into it. We wanted to talk about the ability to evoke emotion and tell a story through creative art. And I've got some questions underneath that. And our first question for you was, how does a director of photography develop their craft so that their own unique voice or stamp can be seen in every frame that they touch. And maybe before we step on that, I wonder if there are people that are listening that actually don't know what a director of photography does. That is probably quite probable. So, Ross, enlighten us. <laughs> Fire away. What is it that I do? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I would describe a director of photography as, as someone who is ahead of a department. So they are ahead of the camera department, which um, usually comprises of the DP as the sort of manager of the department, manages the vision, the look, the lighting, camera movement, everything like that. And you've got camera assistants underneath who basically help with the general function of the camera. Um, and then you've got grips and gaffers and people like that who then are basically taking my sort of input to help construct the lighting and things like that. So you're a person who 
oversees the, the look and vision on behalf of the director. You're not just doing whatever you think you want to do. You're Damn. looks like that at times. It looks like that sometimes. <laughs> just joking. Um, but no, usually it's definitely, um, well, it's always comes from um, you creating a vision that the director and yourself have, have uh, previously collaborated over basically in the pre-production process and then on the actual shoot days you're the person who can sort of just run with that vision because you know what the director wants Mm. and um, the director focuses on directing and things like that and obviously they've got to approve what it looks like and things like that but you should be on the same page before you're shooting so one would hope (laughs) yes okay so I guess my question was about you know you as a director of photography, I, I wondered about how you develop your craft because I, I feel that when I watch, um, you know, film, you, you can often clearly see sort of, for lack of a better term, if you were thinking about it as an Instagram filter, you know, it's a very distinct filter that I think a director of photography has. Um, obviously, it's much more advanced. I didn't mean to put it in such a terrible term, but I feel like you have your own unique voice or stamp that can um, be shown in a piece of work. And I wondered um, what your thoughts were and do you have your own stamp and how did you develop that? Yeah, it's a great question, Charlotte. I I think uh, you're dead right. You watch a film, there is going to be, you know, quote-unquote continuity of the vision. Mm. You know, the the contrast, the lighting levels, the feel of an outdoor scene generally is going to be the same as another outdoor scene in the film or vice versa, indoors or night things like that, um, all that's going to come from previous discussions with a director and what they want. You know, they will share references about what they want. Um, they will, uh, you know, d- use various ways to describe the kind of vision that they would like to, to record, you know. So, you know, a director of photography is going to help um, translate their words because often it's not very specific. It can be very... Uh, it feels like this or it reminds me of this and you've got to interpret that and those words into something that's technical really and going to end up with this artistic vision. Now, so first and foremost, you're trying to pay homage to what the director wants, but inevitably, and the whole reason they hopefully pick you in the first place, they've seen the body of work you've created. They've seen your Mm. Instagram feed, your website, things you've done previously. And so it's kind of obvious as well what the DP's taste and aesthetic is. Yeah. And so that's always going to come through, you know, and I'm dealing with that on a, on a project just, just going to shoot this week. And, you know, I've listened to the director and what they want, but I'm always going to put that filter of Ross through it of what I do. But that's yeah. why they pick you in the first place. It's the filter of Ross I think I'm interested in. How do you develop yeah. your filter of Ross? Yeah. Like, what is yeah. that? So, <laughs> and also, just out of curiosity, um, does the filter of Ross, for example, does it have a typecast? Because I know actors get typecast comedy, drama, mm. period piece. Do cinematographers get typecast? And if so, is that a good thing for you guys or not? Sure, yeah, yeah. Two great questions. I'll start with start with <laughs> continuing on with what Charlotte was after. Um, so I think that um, uh, as far as... Oh, what was the question again? 
It's mostly like you got your own stamp, you were saying, like your own filter of Ross. Like, how does that happen? Like, yeah. Because you oh, think about right. it like yeah. a musician, like a, someone on guitar, they have their own style. You can listen mm. to them and you're mm. like, oh, I know exactly who that is. And it's, I think it's the same for you. Sure. How does that happen? Yeah, so I, I would say like right back at the beginning, like for a, a, a person learning cinematography, I would highly recommend that they start to create a reference library of imagery. So this could be just saving uh, images from Vimeo, YouTube, or movies, or anything like that. Just create a reference library of all different scenes, just anything you like. And I know in my library, for instance, there's really colourful stuff, there's some really dark stuff, there's daytime, nighttime, there's everything. But the funniest thing is, and it only occurred to me about last year some type point, I was looking through this library, an entire, you know, eclectic collection of imagery, and I could see a through line. Of what I like. I could see my taste through yeah. something bright, something dark, something colourful, something not. There's always linking factors that obviously naturally I was drawn to that I liked. And so I think over time, I mean, that's the result. Over time, you start using the reference library less. But I think it, initially it's super good to determine what you like because you can't bring anything to the vision if you don't know what you'd like because that's that's your way of interpreting the way you see things. Now, um, so I think that that's the quote-unquote Ross, Ross filter or any DP, what they're going to bring to the project is they're going to bring their aesthetic and their taste. Um, and hopefully if they've studied the right thing, it's a good taste. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where you're going to get differences in the work people produce. But I think that's that bit where I was saying before that you hear what the director wants and then you put your stamp on it. I think that stamp comes from eventually understanding what you like mm-hmm. and what you're drawn to. And it's weird because you'll notice things in everyday life. I'll walk around with just a stills camera and I will just instantly know what I want to try and take a picture of. It doesn't always turn out great. But it's like I'm tuned in to know what I'm drawn to these days. Um, So I think that's that's the stamp you create of time. That's what you bring to it. And whilst, like I said, projects vary so much with um, the style and, um, you know, comedy, drama, whatever – there still will be a through line and of, of the person that shot it. I mean, I had the same thing um, last year with some um, projects I've submitted for awards night and a few people said to me afterwards that even though they were three different projects, they could see, Your they could see, yeah, they could see something like a through line. I don't know if that's the best word to, to say, but I mean, like you said, stamp. Mm. They could see something and that was like the best compliment I could get from someone because I realised that I think I was just being authentic with myself even though the projects were so different. Yeah. And I think that's that's what I was happy to strive towards. Mm. Yeah. I forgot your question, Bella. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like one at a time, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I think you almost answered it, but it was just do cinematographers, or, sorry, directors of photography get typecast. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, another great question. Yeah, I think... Definitely. I mean, if anyone was to look at my Instagram feed, they would see, they'd probably straight away say you like shooting dark, moody images. Like dark drama sort of thing. Yeah. And I mean, we, here's the thing. This week I'm shooting a comedy, but I'm using, bringing the same style to it because those things can play off in their own way as well. Mm. Like, um, you know, think Shaun of the Dead and different things like that. They're, you know, you can have a drama looking piece that's comedy as well. So, you know, it's important to be open to all this stuff. That stuff can happen. But, yeah, absolutely, I think you can um, be typecast. Um, but the thing is, I also believe strongly you shouldn't just go out and show you can shoot every single style and then have a 
demo reel or an Instagram feed that's so different that people can't look at your website or look at your feed and say, who is this person? Because ultimately they're trying to find a match for their project. They don't want to see someone who can do a million different things. Yeah. They want to see what you do. And, and ultimately I think that's good that you want them to pick you for what you do. And then it's quite, it's quite a natural thing. Um, so yeah, I think you can get typecast. You know, it's part marketing, part what you're naturally drawn to creating anyway. And then, yeah, people will seek you out or not because of what they see that you put out. But I don't think there's any point in fighting that. I think that is what I would term as just leveraging your, your strengths. Um, but, but, but definitely feel free to obviously find other areas and grow as a, with your photography and, and find avenues to explore and experiment with. Um, but I think ultimately there still will be that um, filter of you through everything you try. Yeah. You were saying a second ago about leveraging your strengths, mm. but what happens when you see a film and people walk away and they're like, that, that, like, that cinematography was brilliant um, and it distracts them from the overall vision of the film? How do you pair great cinematography with the director's vision and the character arc, story arc, and not overtake the film? Sure. Um, I think the only time I've ever noticed cinematography in a film is when the story was bad. Oh, and then I was okay. kind of looking for something. I'm like, I'm thinking about this film. I'm like, well, it looked great. <laughs> like, that's the only time I, I feel you should, well, you, sh you don't want that <laughs> circumstance, to be honest. But I think, you know, and I'm someone who looks for this stuff. So I think the average person is probably not going to be that affected by the actual vision. I think you'd have to be... Yeah, it, you have a hard time overtaking a story. I just, like I was just describing, I think the story would have to be bad for the cinematography to or overtake. I, I find like a lot of yeah. slow-paced stories, often mm -hmm. you can get very distracted by the cinematography and that would be pacing issues on the director's part perhaps? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, there can also be bad decisions with the photography. I mean, there is such a thing as using the wrong kind of camera movement and stabilise at the wrong time and, and have it feel unintentionally disrupting mm. to the mood you know think you've got this quiet moment and then all of a sudden it goes into this shaky handheld shot but then it all goes good again like and it wasn't there for a purpose then that that's just not great mm. so i think there are definitely things like that bad choices that could cause it to be um you know overtake it but yeah i don't know i've i've not had that experience have you yes that was that was very interesting because i think yeah, definitely. So if you notice the cinematography, guys, film's probably bad. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. your poor profession. <laughs> exactly. No, I just think if, if it's done well, I mean, you're supposed to complement the story. Yes. I mean, I don't think you should be noticed. You're there to uh, guide the audience along the director's vision and story, and you're this, um, this boat. You've all got to go downstream in the same direction. And, um, yeah, if, if, if you're noticing what kind of boat it is, I think that's where something's a little off. Um, and like I said, that could be a number of things, but mm. it's just my thought. I have this interest in um, creative instinct versus skill. Mm -hmm. And I think we were sort of touching a little bit on this just now. And my next question to you is going to be, is cinematography this magic formula of the right lighting and the right equipment and the right crew? Mm -hmm. Or is it about instinct and intu intuition in being able to tell the story? Mm -hmm. Great question again. You, you just bang, bang, bang with these questions, aren't you? Um, it's actually no. It's actually something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, it's both. It's a mixture. There is going back to that reference library I was talking about. Mm. The reason um, 
I think all those images are good, like personally, but they're because I like the taste. But also, if you look through, there is a through line of technical cinematography that's just done well in all those images. Um, obviously, looking where they come from, they come from very respected DPs and, and people who are doing good work. But there is a certain balance of light levels, key light, background, rim light, things like that. Um, uh, compositions, there are things that just look good. It's basically just science, I'd call it at that point. You could learn those. You could learn five things that you're going to just shoot a scene and you're instantly going to be a better scene. Mm. And then, of course, there's the whole you can always break the rules. But there's still always going to be a few of those key elements that make, um, quote-unquote, a cinematic image. Um, and, um, yeah, that's part of it. So do you... Th- I wonder then, is it just, you know, anyone could just train and train and train and learn this magic scientific formula and be a great director of photography? Or do you no. think... No. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's, so there's something I in guess, you, right? There's some I guess creative instinct or something. For sure, for sure. So I guess I described the bit you could learn, and that's yeah. what I did do. I basically watched YouTube videos and read everything I could, Did went to workshops. And you can learn... Um, these tips. It's basically science of how to do things that are just going to make something look better. But then, yeah, the real art comes down to um, there are points where you where you grow in the projects and the projects get bigger, there's more pressure, there's less time, and there's more, well, I think you two would have definitely seen it being on set as well, where there's always something that comes up. There's obstacles, challenges to overcome that, that kind of maybe weren't um, forecast or foreseen. Mm-hmm. And um, You've got very little time, so you are basically having to rely on instinct to make a new decision, to change something up, and it 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 comes from a much less logical place. I think it comes from all the learnt lessons prior that you should have um, done with your practice shootings and your tests, and you default to, yeah, this, this very no thought, I guess I could only speak personally about this, but a very super fast reacting unconscious decision as to why okay now we're just gonna do it over here Mm. like it just it's just um that's the artistic bit i think that is partially trained into you from knowing the the basics the things i was just saying before you could learn and then having experience um and seeing how it turns out and then um yeah so there's part of that but i mean a big part of it is if you have a good crew as well they're not doing it for you because you're still in charge of that team but what I do find having a skilled team um, working for you is um, they are all so good at their job. They will uh, enable you in little ways by just helping you uh, give you some little, little insight or some little notes or anything like that. Because I'm thinking so in broad strokes. I'm thinking of an entire scene. I might be thinking of the next scene. But these guys are dealing on a more of a technician level with smaller, in the moment, that shot things. And they'll, they'll come up with some recommendations or some ideas and things. And, and that's how it all works cohesively to get a better product because you listen to that. Mm. Of course, you respect them. And, um, yeah, you see if it works, if it's a good suggestion or not or, or how it's going to play. Um, so, But what that means is you can sit back and QC this image and you see it be created, you know. You start off with a vision and you know, the technicians are helping you create it. And um, the, the whole roundabout story I'm leading to is that the, the technical stuff kind of just happens. But in that moment, you could be making many different decisions about how you're going to slightly change it based on the intuition of seeing it form, I think. Mm. I think it's at that point. You started with 
say, baking a cake. You started with the ingredients. You know, it should turn out right. <laughs> but if you put it together wrong, like, there, there could be a point where it just goes astray. And I think um, having a good crew allows you to step back, check that reference monitor many times because um, you're not being on hands-on with everything at the same time, doing it yourself. You really are stepping back and being the... Um, uh, the taste creator here, just ensuring your, you know, the boat's going down the stream in the right way. You know, mm. and I feel that part is the more artistic part because you're lighting things to a certain level. You might be using a light meter or other exposure methods, but that's where you're looking at the monitor and you're saying, "Oh, but that's too much." You know, I, I feel the scene how we're creating it. We could get away with changing it to this, and I think that's where all the gut intuition comes from. The instinct. Um, Do you yeah. think people can be tone deaf and never get that instinct? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I think you've just got to love this stuff so much. Like, I just don't... I, I think if you're going to do this profession, I think inherently you're going to learn some of that. Yeah. But it all comes back to tuning your taste. Because um, unconsciously, I would say I was making artistic decisions based on subconscious learning. Mm. Um because I, I don't see myself as an artistic person. Um, I, it's so interesting at all, that you like, feel that way. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I feel like it's this romantic thing, <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the magic of the screen and the image. And um, I'm just going to keep talking while I go and adjust my phone. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> okay. Um, on set, she'd have to oh, buy, like, everyone a drink. <laughs> I owe everyone a drink. But I guess what I was talking about is this this romantic sort of, nature of being a director of photography like how much of that is just sort of like human human experience and how yeah. much is like a technically learned skill it's like just is it like more you were talking about brains a couple of weeks ago is yeah. it like more of a right black brain mm. or a left brain sort of thing sure but i'd ask what that point of view is coming from do you, do you think it, it's other people in the crew or actors or what it, the way other people perceive the role or you know, tell me more about this romantic I guess, idea I guess of what I, creation. My, I, I guess I just have this romantic view of everyone as kind of an artist, whether you're a director of photography or a, a musician or an actor or whatever it is. I think I'm just in love with the idea of people creating visions. And I think that it takes your human experience to make you into that sort of artist. Mm. And I guess that's what mm. I'm saying is, does that not... Is it not who you are that makes this wonderful vision? And yes, you've talked to the director and you've decided what sure. you're going to show, but isn't there you in there as well? That's what I'm asking. Yeah, 100%. I think when you, especially as a freelancer, when you decide to go into this career, you're it's all-encompassing. There is no weekends, there's no weekdays. There's just this thing you do that you're interested in, that you love doing. Like, this is not work. I don't see us sitting around talking about film work at all. Like, we just fit it into the week of what we're doing. Like, um... Yeah, so, I mean, I think um, every life experience you have, because you've got to have a life around this as well, like you've, you've got busy days and not busy days, um, uh, every little bit of you that you're just developing as a person, I think, is going to funnel into the way you choose to photograph something as well. Like, it's your, it's your um, point of view on life, like, um, as much as anything else. Like, I think that might be the romantic thing about, that in that you're you I don't know, you're creating another way for you to live on as well. I don't know if that sounds mm. way too high. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like you're but in there, your art is in there and you're like that story is filtering through you as a human and your life yeah. experiences and what's happened to you and the way you see the world is gonna create 
Yeah, I mean, right? 100%. It is the way you see the world. Like, that's probably the best way to describe it. It's, um, I don't know how other people perceive what we do or what we look like on set. I know it looks pretty frantic at times. But, um, and you just kind of just do what you do. But yeah, because there's so many decisions based on unconscious sort of just a feeling of why you should do something, I think that's that's obviously where the vision of the world comes through and you can only get that by having a life you know i don't want to be cliche here as well but you can't just shoot 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 all the time because then you're not bringing perspective to something you have to understand a scene know what's going on and then make choices the same as any actor actress would would make you have to think how what point of view do i want to assist telling this story from um and there was you know another way to display those choices but yeah i think um I know, I think that's just key. I think that's, you know. Do you think then if, like, there was something particularly traumatic that might have happened to someone who was a director of photography, that that would show throughout all of their work? Does that happen in the same way that... Because it shows with actors, but mm. we're yeah. curious about the other side of the camera. Yeah. Is it the same for you as it is for us? Like I would say so. I mean, yeah. you can go through different parts of your life where different things are happening um, where you... They're just going to shape the way you feel about... Uh, a dramatic scene like mm. you, you're filming a scene with a couple breaking up or something you might be uh, like guaranteed I think you'd have a different take on it if you had a recent experience with that like just uh, you're just going to have that personal connection to the way you uh, see that situation mm. as opposed to maybe another part of your life when you're you're completely in a different space it's I think that's an un- unconscious thing you know yeah, maybe but that, that's part I, of your filter. Yeah, but and a big part of it is that you know that you're. It's a mix, though, you know, because I, I hate to be technical and go back to it, but you are doing this thing. You've got to pay your be- biggest homage to the story and the director, so there's always going to be that mix of the two um, coming through. And yes, you may have that, have that experience recently, and you might end up kind of pitching a different way to film it to the director than what they were thinking. And, you know, if it makes sense for the film, you may end up doing it that way. But it's going to be highly dependent on, yeah, what's going on in your life as well. So I think it's super important to to just live a, a balanced life and um, have other things as well outside the creative industry. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you've got nothing to draw on. Like, you do need human experiences. And I love how you use that word human because mm. I, I, that's one way I'd try and hopefully have my images described as well. Like... Um, Having images that speak without having to have a lot of words is just something I think is inherently human. You know, there are a lot, if you know, if you want to create, make richer art, you know, you've got to observe life. You know, I spend a lot yeah. of time at cafes, like sitting back with some work and, and doing whatever it is I do with my admin and things like that in between. And you can't help but have moments where you're just staring blankly somewhere and just noticing how they make the coffee over there or how people wait while they're waiting for their coffee you know what their body language looks like you know you can't help but think what what might be running through their head like you've got to be an observer of life to know um how to portray it as well mm. and talking about observing obviously you're getting a very close um close look at the actors when you're you know filming them do you find that you will use certain obviously acting is made like basically broken or made in the editing room but you do have a massive input in that as well so do you find that with angles and that you will do it in a certain way as to accentuate a performance and if so how yeah for sure i mean you you never have enough time to shoot all the shots you want to get like 
in my experience, you just cut the shot list in half because you will never make them all. The good thing is you, you, you start filming and you realise you kind of already covered those other things as well to a degree. Um, but the reason I say that is because, yeah, absolutely, you've got to make choices right off the bat. And, I mean, that's the probably the hardest decision we have to make is trying to pick angles that are going to give us this um, leverage your story but also give you enough coverage to a degree. Um, yeah, but you want to make sure that you're photographing how you want, not just shooting it for coverage. Just be safe with everything and get coverage of this scene. Like, you should be uh, expressing a point of view, just deciding and choosing how you shoot it. Um, but it all, all that comes from watching a block through as well and seeing how everyone moves and seeing what they're going to bring to it, the actors. And then often we'll step back and think, well, that shot we had in mind is not quite going to work because we can see how they want to play it out. Um, and... Yeah, we need to portray that. You know, we need to be honest with that. So mm. that's how things can change. I mean, but uh, yeah, we just have to see what everyone brings. A little follow-on question from that. Mm. Um, as actors, I know a lot of our listeners are probably actors and often told on the set, don't give it much in the run-through. It's just the run-through. As um, a director of photography, do you find that if an actor does give a little bit more in a run-through, it will definitely help your creative vision? So you can um, really see what you are shooting. Yeah, uh, I think it, it helps at the right time. Um, I think we get a vibe about that when, like, the most block throughs, they start to happen, and it always stops with questions. You know, there, there's, you, you don't get two steps into it, and then there's these questions. So Are I, you really stopping there? I, I, yeah, basically, you know, we're there to kind of observe this technical movement, we see the whole thing, and then it inevitably gets really... It's very director-actor focused initially. And that's where... You know, this stopping is a good thing because I think that's part of where we recognise where some of the bigger emotions will play out. And if nothing else, we're obviously hearing what they might do rather than seeing it at this point. Um, but, yeah, I don't see too many people just playing it to how exactly they're going to play it in the actual take. Um, at these block throughs, you know, typically I've just seen a lot of discussion um, about some of the motivations of character, things like that, and then maybe we'll towards the end we just need to see the whole thing for the camera department's sake, for the focus puller and everyone like that, and we'll just ask for a stumble through, which is, as we all know, just not no real performing, just more timing. Going to be here for a little bit, move here, whatever. Um, so that's more of a technical thing, but yeah, I think um, I don't know. I think it's probably good. I'd ask you that, to, to hold back and, like, save for the scene. I mean, I'd say that. There are some scenes you go into knowing for sure, like, everyone be on your A game for this first take because people either smash the first take or they get better. Like, they get better towards the end or they're really good at the beginning and then it dries off. Yeah. So, you know, and that could vary within even a, a film or with the same person. But there are definitely times where in the camera department we kind of feel like, okay, we let's be really sure technically we're going to get this on this first take because I think there's they... going to be a lot in it. Yes. So, you know, in saying that, that's why I just don't see people going too overboard in these sort of block, sort of block through situations. Cool. Mm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm going to move on a bit now mm. to, I wanted to talk about creative limits. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by creative limits is I think, you know, like music, sound and acting, I think they do have limits as to how much they can portray story-wise. An actor can only go so far, a score can only do so much. Um, and I wanted to know, are there limits with regards to the art of cinematography in telling the story? Or do you find that yours are more limitless because 
you've got so much more creative control and you can you can choose to show so I just feel like you have so much control visually for what out what the audience feels and Sure. I don't know. What are you what I, are you what are your limits? I, I would <laughs> I feel there are definite limits <laughs> all the time. Because okay. here's the thing, you know, you can sit there in your um like I'm just experiencing this now, like with the planning I'm doing for this shoot this week, and you can sit there and you have um, your peace and quiet, and you have you have no limits with um, your thought, your, your drawing and references. You're thinking about you know the way you've seen the blocking move, you, how you could light a scene, but then the reality, all those limits do throw back into play and create a little sandbox for you to, that you have to work in. There's no point in fighting it. There's no point in getting too frustrated about it. Trust me, a lot of those limits are things that will hurt the image a little bit and knock it down. And, you know, it's part of it is because you're working on a time schedule. Mm, you're time. not the most important person in the scene as well. Like there's, um, you know, there's actors to consider how they feel about how they look in a scene. There's, um, you know, obviously getting the number of takes the director wants. If they want to workshop it, I can't take forever to light something. They need time to do their work. Art department needs time. Makeup needs time. Everyone needs their piece of time, mm. and so you you do need to approach um, holistically how we're going to shoot this scene or this day. How we're going to make this day, you know, happen. So I think inherently a lot of limits come into play based on budget as well. Um, what kind of gear have we got? What ability do we have to modify anything? Mm. Like, let's be realistic because we could try and try and fail and just be wasting time. But as you get more experience, you know, that doesn't happen. You, you kind of already go in knowing your limits. But, yeah, as you can start to hear, like, you, you start to create a sandbox pretty quickly about, okay, this is what I think we can do um, with respect to having everyone have time to do their part as well. So, unfortunately, it's not limitless. I wonder if there's a point in one's career where you can get to get closer to that feeling. Um, you know, because I, I feel... It's not always money. It's a time thing. I'd say the biggest pet peeve of everyone is how little time you've got to do the things, you know. We'd always want more time. Um, so, yeah, but you know what? You've got, to, um, you've got to embrace that. I think the sandbox is where the creativity comes in. As soon as you – it's actually – it must be like what a, what a painter does with a blank canvas. I, actually, I personally just don't like the – just the, you know, I've drawn up the, the, the little uh, – diagram of the room and we're putting cameras in and anything could be anything that's really difficult to work with i'll actually love it when a few curveballs and limitations come in and um you know we're told this person's not allowed to move or, or whatever comes up i love those limits because that that forces the creativity you know um and sometimes you really have to think hard about how to solve some of those problems because they are problems but it's just embrace it <laughs> I mean, speaking of problems, you were saying a little earlier how um, you have to be on the same page with the director's vision. But what happens if you get on a set and you thought you were on the same page with the director's vision and it turns out you're really not? <laughs> hmm. Does that happen? <laughs> not, that happen? Definitely not often. <laughs> no, it... Not in my experience. In my experience, what's happened is it might be, it might occur on a particular shot or just a particular moment or even just a single scene where possibly, you know, in the busyness of preparing for the project that people have gone away and had their other thoughts and just haven't had time really to, to round back and collaborate back on that thing. Um, yeah, I mean, look, if it did happen, you know, my advice would be to, 
um, rather than have too much of a technical or creative discussion in front of everyone is just have a little quick sidebar between the DP and the and the director and and get on the same page about what you're both feeling and what um, what you can do to satisfy each other as well. Um, obviously, a director can be like, well, you know, I want something this way and the DP be really surprised because they're not prepared for that. But then in that sidebar conversation, as much as I was saying before, you're there to deliver the director's vision. That is also the time for the DP to say, well, we, we don't have time for this thing. Like, this is a little bit new information to me. I'm not sure what got miscommunicated, but... Here we are right now. We have this time. Uh, this is what I can do, and you've got to you've got to find that compromise. Um, Sounds tense already. <laughs> yeah. It, no, but it's it's actually the assertive, um, sort of direct but problem solving yeah. nature that, as a head of department, you really need to bring. Often, maybe the first AD might be involved in that as well. And you're going just, watch the time. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 not. It's a little problem solving circle. The only way that them would then go. Where you know, go go south again is if someone just didn't want to compromise, mm-hmm. and then at that point you're probably not professional, <laughs> super professional enough because we all have to be adults and realise that yes, like I was saying before, the biggest limitation is time. Mm. What can we do? What have we got in the truck to, to light or fix this, or how can we move this camera in the way you want? We just got to be realistic about it, and then maybe afterwards, at the end of the day, have a discussion and learn from it. Like there was something, something went wrong to get to that point. Is my mm-hmm. answer, <laughs> or it probably happens a lot when people first start shooting. I'd have to cast my mind well back and just think for sure. It probably happened a lot, a lot more back there. Um, yeah, when everyone's trying to find their feet and not really hadn't learned how to communicate really what they want. So I think that's when it's going to happen. Mm. Talking about working together, and this is probably my final, almost final question. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about this vision and that everyone has the same are on the same page and mm. they all have this same idea that they're trying to get to the same image that they're trying to create how important do you think it is to internalize the because as actors for example we know exactly what we're trying to say we know what the objectives are we know what we want people to feel we know what we want from the other characters how important do you think is it that everyone does that same process or do you do that same process do you read the script in the same way that we do and approach it with the same sort of thought. Do you internalise what a scene means as well and what these characters are wanting from each other? Do you do the same thing that we do so that you can then be a part of that process? I try to. I think that's probably, for myself personally, one of the things I'd have to more consciously work on. Um, I inherently will read a script and just think... uh, The first thing I think is how much they're moving. Like, right. to be honest, yeah, exactly. It's not even about their emotion. Like, I will in, kind of, I guess I, I'm reading the script, I'm understanding their emotion, but then my thought goes straight away to how, how much are they moving? And I think this is why, because I'm just saying this off the top of my head, is because I'm also then thinking, how do I like this thing? Mm. And for speed and just look, obviously, how, how is this all going to work? Then that means the most to me. It's very easy to light something um, if a person's static, so as opposed to moving and having a really dynamic kinetic scene. So I think that's that's one of the first things that I sort of read into it. But obviously it, it's all derived from trying to figure out what emotion is needing to be portrayed in the scene. Um, but yeah, I just like to understand what the characters are doing um, for, first and foremost, and then maybe, and secondly, like I guess the emotional state they're in, but that can kind of 
go either way, I it's guess. It's just so interesting that <laughs> it's so technical. Obviously, I knew it was technical, but mm-hmm. that the mindset was so technical. I don't know mm-hmm. why I thought it would be as romantic yeah. as an act as well, but I just thought it would be this no, artsy, um, like, oh, so the, you know, they're really feeling this tone of emotion here, so I'm <laughs> going to, you know, make this yeah, choice. I'm but sure there, there are people that. like that, yeah. but the, I guess even good actors are going to be semi-technical as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah some actors are so intellectual, but I just, mm. I don't know why. I just, it's really interesting to hear. For sure. I mean, I think I, I would describe something in a nuts and bolts sense, and I'd say in the the way I see things or the way I describe it on set, especially communicating to other people, if it's not communicating directly to my crew as to how to move a camera or set up, then I am actually t- talking to a director way more in terms of this romantic thing and this mm. actual emotion the shot is doing, like, you know, campaigning for why we should move a camera a certain way as put with an actor. But but in the definitely way more in the terms of, um, uh, yeah, the artistic sense, like, because some directors will just not get... Uh, you know, not understand the technical aspects of anything. Um, and they don't need to. They just need to know what it feels like. And, you know, that's the best way to describe it. And that, that would be, you know, this romantic sort of link that, that you're asking about, I think, because it's um, – you very much do need to feel why you're doing a shot as well, I think. You're not just ticking a box for mm. coverage. I think that's where it comes down to it. Um, yeah, I guess it's weird, though. I think from a – as a technician – to describe it, though, you inherently default back to step one, step <laughs> yeah, two, step three. Yeah. But absolutely, no, I still read read things and sort of look and just think um, at this script as, you know, what's what's going on? How do we pay homage to this this vibe? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so much of it is unconscious. Like, if you're going to work at the speed you do and and make good decisions, you do have to sit back and just read, read the play. Um yeah, I mean that that and that's I don't think as a technician part you just you've just got to be drawn a certain way to a certain point of view. Yeah. Mm. Well, <laughs> we've reached that point again that we I always have. reach where I've gone too far and too long. Um, so I guess there's two things mm. we'd love to hear more about you and where we can find you. Yes, like social medias, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Places we should check you out. Is there anything you'd like to share? Is sure. there anything coming I mean, up that's amazing that we should all run to see? Um, coming up, um, yeah, I'll talk about that first. Um, I shot second unit director photography on a film called I Am Mother, which um, yep. premiered at Sundance. So that has been acquired by Netflix, and I think it's going to have a cinema run in Australia as well. So yeah, that's going to be in cinemas, I think, around June or on Netflix around June. So um, stay posted and look out for that. It's it stars uh, Hilary Swank and Clara Rugard, and it's directed by Grant Spatori, who is a, a local um, uh, narrative and commercial um, director, and. Yeah, what else is coming up? Um, This week I'm shooting a a short film for SBS, um, one of those um, Indigenous sort of funded initiatives. And um, it's comedy, but as I've been describing, it also wants some of the the Ross flavour of um, drama (laughs) to the imagery. That's going to be a new thing now. Yeah, of course. It's like a packet of chips you just hand around and say it to get everyone smiling. Um, Yeah, so there are a couple of things to be excited about. Um, Yeah, and... Yeah, who knows what's what's what else is coming up? Definitely music videos and things like that are in the, the future. So um And where can we yeah. follow you if we would like to? Yeah, uh, probably the best way to reach out is Ross Metcalf DP on Instagram. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's me at Ross Metcalf DP, and on the web um, at www.rossmetcalfdp.com.au. Excellent. Um, yeah, and if he's so a I've got a uniform. It will be the link in his Instagram bio. <laughs> and he's smart enough to actually pull that off. So yeah, good job. Well, thank All you right. so so much. Um, I am going to wrap us up. Um, right. I'm oh, no, I no, no. I'm going to ask you one more thing. If <laughs> if you, you can't I can't help myself. <laughs> what um, piece of advice do you wish someone had told you when you very first started out? Great question. Again, you're so good with this. Hard questions. <laughs> um, I would say, I kind of find this, but I think people just should experiment. They should shoot for the love of shooting, not because they're paid to do it. You should go off and invest some of your money and definitely your time into finding out what you like to shoot, shooting in all various different ways. In private, you don't have to release any of this out into the world. And just play and just enjoy that that art of finding what you like, really, because, I mean, this is supposed to be additive to your life. You should enjoy it. Um, It's not just a job. Um, hopefully as creatives we all feel like we're we're living kind of the best of both worlds we actually get paid to do this are you serious Um, yeah so I just encourage people to do that I think um, I don't know if anyone actually gave me that tip but it's definitely a tip I pass on that um, don't wait for other people to to just bring you that thing that that you really want to be doing there is some element now that you can be practicing and playing with in your art to 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 start that journey yeah 100% so basically, don't procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Do things. Exactly. Wonderful. It was so great having you, Ross. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much. It's been wonderful chatting to you both. And thank you so much, Bella, for co-hosting with me again today. It's been amazing having you on board as well. Um, and thank you for listening, if you are listening at home and um, joining us for this next episode. Um, more to come soon. But for now, goodbye and thank you very much. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Post Dramatic Stress. To connect with us or to register to come on the podcast, visit us at www.lettingcharlotteout.com or email us via postdramaticstresspod at gmail.com.